if I had to choose one word to describe our world in just the last six months, I think I would use the word suffering. You can use other words, pain, tragedy, loss, but all of those things, they end in suffering, whether it's the fires in California, the hurricanes that bear down on our coasts of our, of our country, the shooting in Vegas, whatever it is, uh, that doesn't even count the personal stories of tragedy, pain, and loss. That's just the things that made the headlines, but personally in our lives, there are things that happen or happened to us that the end result is suffering. And I don't know, maybe it's because of of the uh, rapid pace that we receive information these days, but it seems like for me, at least in my lifetime, more than ever, suffering rules the day. I hate to be a a Donnie Downer to start off the message today, uh, but that really is the reality, that suffering is inevitable, right? I mean, everybody, all of us at some point face suffering. But here's the thing. While suffering might be inevitable, it's not impossible to overcome. That because of Jesus, we don't have to be overwhelmed in our suffering, amen? Because of Jesus, we don't have to be overwhelmed. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. Yes, we are talking about suffering today, uh, but I hope that's not the word you will use to describe this sermon when I'm done. I'll do my best to not make sure it's not suffering uh, for you. If you're joining us via video as well, uh, just so glad that you are with us. Our uh, tech team, production team, they, they literally work countless hours a week making sure you get the message right in your living room or on your mobile device. I know it doesn't always work flawlessly, but they work tight to get it to you. So I think for all of our production team, let's show them some honor today. Awesome job. We have people behind the scenes every service trying to make sure we get uh, the message out there to the digital world as well. Next week will be the last week of this sermon series called Walk This Way. And so the following Sunday, two weeks from today, uh, we're going to start a series or a two-week series called You Choose Sundays. We try to do this every year. So it's coming up on November 5th, 5th and, and 12th where you select the worship songs and you select the sermon content. So if you go to our website, elementchurchw ly.com click on the you choose graphic or watch for it on on Facebook or my blog this week as well you can select your favorite songs and then ask any question that you want to already got tons of good questions that come in I'll do my best to answer as many as I can on those two Sundays coming up November 5th and November 12th now because this whole sermon series has been born out of things I was challenged by or inspired by on uh, our trip to Israel over the summer I've been Starting the messages uh, with different pictures, things that are not part of the message necessarily, but things I thought were cool, inspiring, even taught me something as well. So two of the days uh, of our trip, we we had the chance to go to the Mount of Olives. I don't have time to go into the historical or prophetical significance of the Mount of Olives. I just know from the Mount of Olives was the best view of the city of Jerusalem. So here's a view from the top of the Mount of Olives. Uh, It's a beautiful city. That dome building in the center there. It's what's called the Dome of the Rock. It is the third holiest Muslim site in all of the world. It sits on a place that's called Temple.
temple mount. It's literally sitting at the place where the old Jewish temple would have sat before it was destroyed in 70 AD. To give you a little bit of perspective, the Jewish temple would have been two times the height of Temple Mount. So it would have been a beautiful structure, temple sitting uh, right there, t- twice the size of the Dome of the Rock. So here, here's a picture. That's my favorite picture from Jerusalem. I took this picture from the location where Jesus grieved over the city of Jerusalem. It's found in Matthew 23 and Luke 13, where Jesus from this point said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen collects her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. He was grieving over the fact that he had come to give them what they were waiting for, but they were rejecting the salvation that he had come to bring. We also went to the Western Wall. Here's a picture of the Western Wall. In Jerusalem, it's known otherwise as the Wailing Wall. It's a holy site for Jewish people. It's a site of very reverent prayer. It's here at the wall that many people write their prayers on paper and then roll it up and stick it into the the cracks in the wall. Uh, Here's a picture of my wife actually putting a prayer request uh, into the wall there at the Western Wall. We've spent quite a bit of time at the Western Wall that morning. It was was a moving time for me as I saw people uh, praying to, to God and submitting their requests to him. The reason this wall is so significant, I didn't know this till we were on the trip, is the Western Wall is the closest point a Jewish person can get to where the Holy of Holies would have actually been in the temple on Temple Mount. So on top of the Western Wall is Temple Mount. Temple Mount is now under Muslim control. They claim ownership of Temple Mount. And on Temple Mount, you are not allowed to use the phrase Temple Mount. You cannot have any religious symbols or literature unless they are Muslim in nature. And you cannot pray out loud. You can't say God's name. You can't say Jesus or anything on Temple Mount. So the Western Wall, because of that, is the closest place a Jewish person can pray Uh, The closest place they can get to, to the old holy of holies where the presence of God dwelled and they can actually pray. It's a very reverent holy site for Jewish people. And at the Western Wall, I started to notice something that kind of caught me off guard. There are people at the wall that were praying, many of them praying for a long time. And then they would start walking backwards from the wall. So they start walking backwards, certain number of steps, turn around and walk away. One after another, another, they'd walk backwards. So I asked our tour guide who was Jewish, I was like, why are they walking backwards from the wall? And here's what he told me. He said, according to Jewish custom, you never turned your back on a king, never turned your back on royalty. And when they are at the wall praying, they believe they have been face to face with their spiritual king and they would never turn their back on their king. Wow. I told him, I said, us Christians, can learn a lot from the reverence of Jewish people. We really can. I think many times we come to God out of irreverence. So that kind of reverence of being face to face with our spiritual king. Before you think everyone is reverent though, I did get a picture of of this guy here, uh, the guy in the chair in the center. He was dead asleep the entire time. He never woke up the entire time we were there. I wanted to go up to him and get a selfie like this while he's afraid. I was afraid to get thrown off of the Western Wall area. So I did get a selfie with someone else who was sleeping. It was on a plane though. Here's me and a guy sleeping. (laughs) Don't sleep next to me unless you wanna get a picture taken. So at the bottom of the Mount of Olives is, is this picture here. It's this beautiful garden of olive trees. We know it as the Garden of Gethsemane. 
It was here in this garden that some of the oldest trees of Israel, in Israel exist. In fact, some of the trees, eight of the trees here in these picture, are over 2,000 years old, dating back to the time of Jesus. The oldest tree is this tree here. Actually, a cage around it so you can't touch it or do anything to it. It's 2,400 years old. So this old, massive olive tree. And here's another picture of just a beautiful tree uh, that was old enough, would have been present in the time of Jesus. It's a massive olive tree. So it's this scene right here in the Garden of Gethsemane that I want us all to think of as we look at this scripture today. It was here in this garden where we stood on our tour that Jesus would come face to face with his greatest suffering. Like you realize even Jesus was not immune to suffering, right? We understand that. I mean, crucifixion aside, that was suffering enough. But even outside of that, Jesus faced times of suffering. He grieved over the city of Jerusalem from that point I showed you earlier where he longed to give the people what they needed, but they rejected him. He had times of, of weakness and hunger and temptation. 40 days in the desert, he gave up food for 40 days to fast. The devil tempted him on that occasion three different times. He wept when his friend Lazarus passed away. Many scholars believe the reason we don't hear about his father Joseph uh, uh, after the early part of his life was Joseph had passed away. So very uh, it, it could have been that Jesus lost his dad at an early age, making him the man of the house and his mother a widow. That's why the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us this, Hebrews 2, 18, speaking about Jesus says this, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when, not if, but when we are being tested or when we go through suffering. And again, I hate to be the continual bearer of bad news, but suffering for us is inevitable. We either have already, we are now, or we will in the future face suffering in this life. And we all know that. We see it all around us, yet we spend the majority of our lives trying to avoid suffering. And in no way am I saying we should go looking for it, right? I'm not saying that. There's enough suffering in life. We don't got to go cause it in our lives. I'm just saying maybe instead of focusing on avoiding suffering, we should start to focus on how we respond to it when it comes. Because suffering is inevitable. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I got ahead of myself. I had planned to say this on this sermon. It came to my mind in another sermon, but I said it. But I mentioned a few weeks ago that wouldn't it be an amazing evangelism tool if the world could look at Christians and non-Christians and there was a clear divide in what happened to us? That would be an amazing evangelism tool. That if you lined up Christians and Christians never suffered, and you'll end up non-Christians and the only suffering in the world ever happened to those who didn't believe, that would make evangelism easy. That means I would stand on the platform every Sunday and my sermon would be, here's Christians, nothing bad ever happens to them. Here's non-Christians, if anything bad happens, it only happens to them. Who wants to be a Christian? And we'd all put both hands in the air, right? Because we would want to have what the Christians have. But that's just not the case. I mean, even if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a Christian, you would even say, if that was true, at least it would make the decision for me easier to make 
to believe in Jesus if nothing bad ever happened to Christians. But it's not the case. Suffering knows no age. It knows no color. It knows no gender. It knows no socioeconomic status. It knows no political party. There's a joke there, but I'll leave it alone. Like suffering, suffering has no agenda. It's inevitable for everyone. It finds us all. So the only thing that can distinguish then people of faith and people who don't believe is how we respond to suffering. Because of that, here's the big idea for today. My response to suffering is much more important than my protection from it. My response to suffering, because it's coming, is more important than my protection from it. If that's true, which I believe it is, then here's the big question we have to ask. How should I respond to suffering in my life? If suffering is coming, and I believe it is, and if my response is more important, and I believe it is, then how should I respond to suffering in my life? Main scripture, Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Would love for you to follow along in your own Bible. It'll all be on the screens as well. If you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one for free today. Ask for one at guest services or the next steps wall, and we'll put one in your hands. Matthew is easy to find. It's the first book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. So if you find yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's the first four books. The New Testament, Matthew's the first one there. Little background here. Here in Matthew 26, what we're about to read, this was the night that Jesus was betrayed, arrested, beaten, and then crucified for the sins of all mankind. He had just, just before what we're going to read, he had just had his last supper with the disciples where he instituted the, uh, the sacrament of communion that we now take in our faith as well. He had already predicted Peter's denial, which we looked at Peter's denial last week. And then they walked after supper, they walked from the far western side of Jerusalem down through a valley to the far eastern side of Jerusalem at the base of the mountain of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane that we looked at earlier, and he has this encounter, his prayer with his father. I'm also going to share a few insights. We're going to read the whole thing here. I'm going to stop and make several comments along the way, sharing some insights from parallel accounts. So the Gospel of Mark in chapter 14, Gospel of Luke chapter 22, they both share the same story, different perspective. So I'm going to share some of their accounts as well. It'd be great reading for you. Uh, as you leave this place, Mark 14, Luke 22, on top of this one right here, Matthew 26. Let's start in verse 36. Stop along the way, make some comments. Then Jesus went with them, as the disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And it's, here's an interesting note to me. Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means olive press. So it's not ironic to me that here in this place called the olive press, Jesus would be pressed with his greatest suffering he would ever, uh, ever face. It's also not ironic to me the, the uses of olive oil and how they parallel to who Jesus is in our life. For instance, olive oil was used as fuel for lamps. Jesus is the light of the world. Olive oil is used for cooking. Jesus is the bread of life. Olive oil was used for ointments on, on sores on the body. Jesus is the great physician. Olive oil is used in soap. Jesus cleanses us of our sin. 
olive oil was used to anoint royalty, Jesus is the king of kings. So the parallels here are not lost on me in this olive grove called the olive press, Gethsemane. So he goes to this garden and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther, just for reference sake. The Gospel of Luke tells us he went on a stone's throw away. Now, I I don't know if you know how far a stone's throw is. Uh, A stone's throw for a Cleveland Browns quarterback is not very far. Just saying. (laughs) Just making that clear, right? But a stone's throw in Jewish culture was 50 to 60 feet away. So to illustrate here in the room, if you're listening online, you have no reference here. But if you're in the room, I stepped off 60 feet from this pulpit. And 60 feet from this pulpit is right back here in this section of chairs, the very back black chair back there, the if only for the one chair, is 60 feet away from right here. So just so you understand, if I were to turn off my microphone, I'm not going to, if I turn off my microphone, knelt down with anguish in my soul and prayed, the person in the very back would hear what I'm praying. So the disciples could, were within earshot of this prayer of Jesus, Matthew records the prayer. We're going to see it here in a second. So he went a stone's throw away and bowed with his face to the ground. Mark tells us he fell to the ground, praying these words. My father, which literally is Abba, father. And that term for us in our modern age is a term of endearment. It would be like us saying, daddy, daddy. So dad, If it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, I think he said this to Peter, because moments earlier, Peter said he would never deny Jesus, he would die for him, now he's sleeping. So he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. There's a whole sermon right there. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, Abba, father, daddy, daddy, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open, a lot like some of you in church on Sundays. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. In Luke's account, he records that Jesus prayed so fervently and with such agony, he began to sweat and his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. Some scholars and physicians actually believe Jesus was in such agony, he literally sweat drops of blood, praying this prayer. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come, the Son of Man's betrayed into the hands of sinners. We sang about that earlier. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Suffering is inevitable. So my response to it's more important than my protection from it. So how should we as Christians respond to suffering? I think we see the answer in how Jesus responded here. And the first way is this. We need to seek God. We need to seek God. And the reason I did not get one amen there, because you're thinking, really? That's what I came to church for today? 
I could come up with that on my own. Like I got to have you here say, say, seek God. I'm just telling you what Jesus did, right? Because that's what Jesus did. In the face of suffering, he sought his father, his God, and he sought him in two specific ways. We're going to see that here. So the first way Jesus sought God was he sought God for relief. In the face of suffering, he sought God for relief. That Jesus, we read it, he asked the Father to take his suffering away. So, in the face of suffering, I want all of us to know it is okay to ask God for healing and for provision and for protection. It's okay to ask God to remove suffering from your life. Jesus said, Daddy, Daddy. If there's any other way to take this suffering from me, then please do it. I don't want to face the cross, is what he was saying. So I think, as Christians, we should be praying giant prayers of relief to our God. As those hurricanes bear down on the southern coast of our country, I was pleading with God to diminish their strength or change the trajectory of these storms, and many of you did as well. As the fires have been blazing in California, we have prayed for rain when there was no sign of rain. We prayed for protection for the, for the people who lived there, the first responders that, that went there. Listen, I would much rather seek God for impossible things that never happen, then get to heaven and wish I had asked him for more impossible things. We should ask God for the impossible, church, because he's the only one that can deliver, right? I've told you this before, but I'm gonna keep using it as an illustration. I don't think anyone's gonna get to heaven and stand before the throne of God and say, well, I feel sheepish. Like those prayers I prayed down there were way too big for this God. I want to go back to the earth and tell those Christians, tone it down a tad with your prayer life. Right? No one's doing that. I actually think we are going to get to heaven. We're going to stand before almighty God. We will see him in all of his beauty and all of his power and all of his splendor and all of his majesty. And we are going to want to stand on the edge of eternity and announce to those who remain on the earth, pray bigger prayers. He's able. I think we're going to wish we prayed bigger prayers when we stand before Almighty God and realize he is the one, the only one who can deliver. I'm praying impossible prayers right now, church. Some of them I'm embarrassed to even tell you about. They're so impossible. I'm not even going to tell you today. I'll make you think about what it is. But you should be praying. You should be praying impossible prayers too. Like maybe the Broncos won't lose to the Giants again. Whatever. Jesus sought God for relief, sought him for relief. But I want us to notice, where did Jesus seek God from? And I'm not talking about the garden. I'm talking about in here. Where did he seek God from? Because, yes, he asked God for relief, but he also did this. He sought God from a relationship. He sought him from a relationship. Listen, if suffering's the only time or even the main time we seek God, we will be overwhelmed by it every time. 
that the way for us to endure suffering is not just seeking God when it happens, it's having it flow out of a relationship to him so that when it comes, my faith is rooted in him and not what happens to me. This was so huge to me. In John's account of this story, he does not give this prayer, but he talks about Jesus going to the garden. I want us to see something here. John 18, 1 and 2 says this, after saying these things, that was the, the last supper, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples from the western side to the eastern side of Jerusalem. He entered a grove of olive trees. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas the betrayer knew this place because, everyone help me out and say because. He knew this place, the garden, because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples and the inference is he went there to pray. So Judas knew where to find Jesus because Jesus was regularly at this place for prayer. That prayer and seeking were such a regular pattern in the life of Jesus, Judas was confident it would predict where he would be that night. That's how often Jesus spent time in praying at this place with his father. So the question for me is this, is my prayer pattern predictive of where I'll be at a certain time. Hello. Could someone watch me, the way I pray, when I pray, how I pray, what I pray for, and point to a relationship I have with the Father that, man, every day Jeff's meeting with his Father right at this place. It's okay to ask God for miracles. It really is. Jesus did that. I think it's okay to ask God to take our suffering away. But if that's the only time we are seeking him, we'll be overwhelmed by it every time. Suffering's inevitable. So as a Christian... My response to it's more important than my protection from it. So how do I respond to suffering? Well, Jesus, we saw it. He sought God. Number two is this. We need to submit to God. Like seeking God without submission won't work for very long. It just won't work. Now, now this, what I'm about to tell you, is a theological debate I don't have time to get into today. Okay? So I acknowledge that not everyone, not even everyone who loves God agrees with me on what I'm about to tell you. Okay, So here's the statement that not everyone agrees on. I happen to believe this. Not everything that happens is God's will. I don't believe that. Every person who rejects faith in God goes against God's will. For we are told that God does not want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. So every time someone dies rejecting the salvation of Jesus, they go against God's will. But that's kind of abstract, hard to wrap our minds around. So let me give you something that you can wrap your mind around. I'm going to make this really personal, and it's going to get uncomfortable for a moment. There are an estimated 2 million children who are prostituted on the global sex trade in our world. Every 51 minutes, someone dies in a drunk driving accident, and there are over 3.1 million children who die every year from malnutrition and poor food choices. And no one will ever convince me that that is the will of God. No one can convince me of that. I think those things and more break the heart of God as much, if not more, than it breaks ours. And listen, I know this brings up very difficult questions. 
questions like, well, why does God allow those things to happen? And church, I don't have an answer. As a pastor, as your pastor, I wish I had an answer as to why bad things happen. When we as a staff walk families in our church through the hardest moments of their life, I wish I could say, hey, here's why. We may not like it, but at least I know why. We don't know why. I'm not sure we'll ever have the answer to why. And I know there are some people, even some people in this room right now, you're thinking, I can't believe in a God who would allow that to exist. And I would say, I get it. I totally understand. I I understand how the devil can take that and twist it in our hearts to pit us against God. I get it. I do. So if that's you, I would just ask you this question. Do you want God to remove all evil from the planet? And a lot of people would say, yes, I do. To which then my next response is this. Would you like him to start with you or me first? Think about it. Because if we're honest, all of us would say, I have committed an act of evil in my life. Now, it may not be on the levels of child prostitution, but the scripture tells us no one is righteous, not even one. So if we want God to eliminate evil from the planet, none of y'all and none of me would be here because we've all done it. We've all done it. So I don't know why. I don't have an answer. Here's all I know, and I, I pray this brings some encouragement to us today, that God's will is not always what happens but he can always use what happens to accomplish his will. That's sovereignty, church. Sovereignty is not God being a puppet master controlling everything. Sovereignty is God saying, I'm giving you guys a choice and I still win in the end. That's sovereignty. That's sovereignty. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know where I land on this, but I'm not sure I can confidently say it was God's will for Jesus to suffer. What I can be confident in, it was God's will for people to be saved. And apparently in this scenario, the only way for people to be saved took Jesus through the cross of suffering. Jesus sought the Father to save him from this. But he also submitted to his control. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Like Jesus could see this coming. He knew that if his father did not step in, he was inches away from being arrested for a crime he did not commit, stripped of his clothes, beaten to within an inch of his life, nailed to a cross where he would take on to himself all the sins of all mankind for all history. And he would see his father turn his back on the son and Jesus on the cross would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus could see that coming and in that anguish he fell to the ground and said dad dad if there's any other way I don't want to go through this I don't want to go through the cross yet yet not my will yours be done come on it's powerful powerful. And what was the will of the Father? I think we see it in John chapter 12. 
John 12, Jesus, knowing what was coming his way, said these words, 27, 28, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? We sang this in, our, in the song, uh, Son of Man, and, and the other song as well, that Jesus, uh, after the garden, when Peter slashed off the dude's ear, talked about that last week, Jesus said to Peter, don't you know I could call down thousands of angels to save me? So now he's saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. Should I, should I ask for God to take me out of this? But this is the very reason I came. Here's God's will. Father, bring glory to your name. Bring glory to your name, even if it means I have to walk through suffering. Listen, not everything that happens will be good in my life, but in everything that happens, I can give God glory in my life. That church, the devil has no answer for someone with that kind of heart. The devil can bring whatever he wants on us. But when our attitude is that, life may not be good, but no matter my life, I can give God glory. The devil can't do anything to someone who lives with a heart like that. And that is God's will, by the way, that I give him glory. Not because he needs it. <laughs> he, he existed before anything else did and received all the glory he needed. So God, this is not for God because he needs it. This is for those who are watching. Listen, this here speaks louder to an unbelieving world than God just making everything good does. I think the biggest miracle, the biggest testimony to our world is not God taking our problems away. It's God giving us the strength to endure them. That stands out. That says it's different. And it leads right into this last thing that I see here as well. Number three is this. In our response to suffering, we need to be strengthened by God. Submit to God. Seek God. Be strengthened by God. Luke's account to the conclusion of this story is so powerful. Jesus had gone to the garden. He had anguish in his soul. And three different times he begged his father to take the suffering away. If there's any other way, but not my will, yours be done. I want to bring glory to your name. And Luke says, after he prayed, Luke twenty-two forty-three, 43, then an angel of the Lord appeared and strengthened him. That's a very powerful verse. We need to understand what that means. That when the Father sent an angel to strengthen Jesus, he was in effect telling his son, my answer to your prayer is no. There is no other way. That, that I'm not gonna take this suffering from you, but I will give you the strength to endure. I'm not gonna steer this out of the way, but I will see you through. So Jesus stands up, goes to the disciples and says, up, let's be going, look. My betrayer is here. And he went to the cross for us. Here Jesus was, not wanting to go through suffering, but ready to face it, if that's what the Father was allowing in his life. And the same thing can be true for us as well. That for some of us, 
there will be specific times and situations where God does come through with protection and provision and power in mighty ways. And we should be asking for that. We should be seeking that from God. But let's be sure we are seeking God from the center of our relationship with him. That our relationship comes first, not what happens to us. And may we, church, submit to God. That yes, God, we want you to protect us from suffering, but not my will. Yours be done. Help me in every situation. Give glory to you and you alone. That if I can be a light to a dark world, then use me to be a fire in this world. And if we do that, if we'll seek God, if we'll submit to him, I think like Jesus, the Father will send his angels and his Holy Spirit, and from the inside out, he will strengthen us to face whatever we are allowed to face. He may not take away our suffering, but he will give us the strength to endure. Listen, church, our hope is not found in the help that is provided. Our hope is found in the one who can give the help. So let's not put our hope in the provision. Let's put our hope in the provider so that no matter what comes our way, our life's not rooted in our circumstances. It's rooted in our Savior who's waiting for us on the other side. I'm going to end a little bit differently today, but I feel like this is necessary. I want to pray. I want to pray over anyone who is facing any kind of suffering. So if you are here today and you are facing any kind, any level of suffering in your life and it's just starting to pull you away or bring you down, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, just stand up right where you are. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask anybody what it is. Nobody's going to even know, okay? Lots and lots and lots. Stand up. That's you. Face any kind of suffering, okay? All over. I want everybody to look around, okay? Look around. Suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable. And we have family right here who are going through it, okay? So I want to pray for you. If you are around one of these people, and are comfortable doing this, would you just lay your hand on their shoulder or extend your hand towards them as I pray. Father in heaven, by the authority of King Jesus who reigns on his throne and the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, we come to you, God, right now for those who say, I'm suffering. And Lord, I don't know what they are going through, but you do. Not only do you know, but you know how it feels to face suffering. So Lord, right now we seek you. We seek you. Lord, bring relief. We pray impossible prayers of healing and provision and protection in this room right now in the name of Jesus. You are still a God of miracles and we pray that you do it today. Lord, we submit to you. Not my will, yours be done. That yes, we want protection and provision, but Lord, ultimately we want to give glory to your name. So if walking through this can give you glory and reach people for you, then we submit to you. And Lord, I pray right now you'd strengthen these people from the inside out. Like you did for Jesus, do for them. Send your angels and your spirit to empower them to live for you. God, thank you for hearing us today. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Love you guys. Love you guys. Thank you for letting me spend some time sharing this word with you today. I pray that it encourages us and inspires us to go out from here and stand boldly in the face of suffering. Thanks for letting me pray for you as well. It's my honor to do that. Let me pray for you guys real quickly for all of us. And then uh, Brielle's got some closing words. God, I, I love the fact that Jesus, he faced what we face. You know how we feel. And so, Lord, like Jesus, I pray that we would seek you, seek you from the center of a relationship with you. God, that we'd submit to you, that we don't know why things happen, but we can give you glory in the middle of them. And, Lord, I pray that you'd give us strength, that we'd stand up like Jesus and just look boldly in the face of suffering, that we would not be shaken because our foundation is sure in you. God, we love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.